Well, welcome to part three of our sermon series called The Most Good. My name is Derek, and um, just to kind of catch you up on what this series is all about, is we've been talking about the fact that we all know deep down that, uh, that we're supposed to do something to help those in need. But the real question is, how do we go about doing that? What does that look like? And specifically, when we think about different organizations or different movements that have happened, where kind of coming after the fact, we've realized that, man, there was a lot of negative things that happened, or it was, it could, there was some harmful impact. How do we ensure that we're helping more than we're hurting? How do we make sure that we do the most good we can for those in need. And so um, we talked a lot about that last week. And um, today we're going to look at a parable that Jesus told. And, I, and what's cool about this is that I, I believe that if you can keep this principle in your mind, when you are, when you're, whenever you're in a situation where you're trying to be helpful, or you're trying to serve, if you can remember this one principle, um, I believe you can't go too far wrong and you uh, will, be, will be ensuring that you do the most good for those people uh, who need your help. So uh, we find this uh, parable in the Gospel of Luke. Luke was a physician who uh, took a long time to uh, write down all of the different things that happened around Jesus' life and his death and his ministry. And uh, so in the 10th chapter of Luke's account, which is found in the New Testament of your Bible, um, it says this, starting in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. So this, this would be someone who was a Jewish expert, and, um, and so he's come with some questions and just kind of trying to get a feel for, for Jesus' understanding of, of Jewish law. And this is what he says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied. How do you read it? The expert answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. He was quoting from the Hebrew scriptures, which today we know in the church as the Old Testament. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you'll live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, and this is where the parable begins. Many of you have heard this one. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho where he was attacked by robbers. Now, this was a 17-mile journey from Jerusalem, from Jericho to Jerusalem, and uh, it was a very dangerous stretch, 17-mile stretch. There, were, it was, there was all sorts of caves and hiding places, and so it was very common for people to be mugged there and all sorts of violent acts to take place. And so it says that these robbers stripped the man of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Jesus continues, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and you can imagine that maybe those first hearers of Jesus' parable were like, oh, cool, good, good thing for that man that a priest is coming by. Surely he's going to do something. But it says when the priest saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too... A Levite. Now, a Levite was like one step down from a priest. It was kind of like an assistant priest, if you will. A Levite, when he came to the place and saw the man, passed by on the other side as well. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. 
Now, for those of you who are familiar with Jesus, Jesus really got along pretty well with just about everybody except for one group of people. You know who he didn't get along with? The religious establishment. And it was funny because Jesus was Jewish, so he was actually not getting along with people of his own faith persuasion, but he was constantly uh, calling them out and calling them to the standard that ultimately God was calling them to. And so uh, what he's doing here in this uh, parable is he's making a critique. So this expert in the law, probably uh, in with the religious leaders, basically Jesus is reminding these leaders that in your obsession with all the rules and all the laws and all the commandments and all the things that you're supposed to be doing so that you're so pious and so holy and so righteous. What you've done is you've put the rules above relationships. You've put the law above loving people. And that was probably Jesus' greatest critique of the religious establishment. In your obsession over being so religious, you've completely lost your compassion for people and doing what God wants you to do in the world. And then, to make matters worse, the hero of the story isn't some ordinary Jewish guy. It's a Samaritan. And some of you are like, wait, wait, I thought a Samaritan was good. Like, Samaritan's someone who helps the poor and does all these great things. Well, that's our 21st century understanding. But a first century understanding of Samaritan is completely different. You see, today we think of Samaritan as a, as a good person, but to a Jewish person, here was what a Samaritan was. A Samaritan was someone who was Jewish. They were Jewish at one point, but then they chose to marry outside of the Jewish faith. According to that Jewish person would think, they've turned their back on the Jewish faith and they've married an Assyrian, someone of Assyrian descent, with their beliefs and their practices and, and their lifestyle choices. And essentially they saw this as a perversion of the Jewish faith. So a Samaritan was someone who was seen as absolutely despicable in the eyes of a Jewish person. And yet, it's this hated Samaritan that actually does something to help this guy in need. And let's take a look at exactly what he does. He does quite a bit for this guy. It says that the Samaritan went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey Remember, this is a dangerous journey, so this would have been risky. Now he's going much slower. He's much more susceptible to whoever else might be lurking along the trail. It says, he put him on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, which is equivalent to two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, basically, this was his way of saying, look, and if, if he gets into the minibar in his hotel room or, you know, he, he orders a pay-per-view movie, it's cool. I got it covered. I got it. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Jesus asked the expert. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So 
Remember we read a few verses ago that the expert in the law wanted to justify himself. He wanted to justify himself. So he asked the question, so who is my neighbor? And the reason that he asked this question is because essentially what he's hoping is that Jesus will say, well, your neighbor is people who look like you. And it's people who talk like you. And it's people who believe like you. And it's people who behave like you. Because he was treating all those people just fine. But Jesus, as he so often does, is he takes that question and he turns it around and asks a different question. And essentially through this story, he takes this guy's question, who is my neighbor? And he says, no, 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 you've missed it completely. The point of the story is this. It's not about trying to figure out who's your neighbor and who's not. The question is, are you being a neighbor? Are you being a good neighbor to everyone that you meet? And that's really the point of the parable. But what I want us to take a look at in the context of this series where we're trying to figure out how do we do the most good we can for those in need is I want us to look at what the Samaritan does here in this parable. Because you see, the Samaritan not only gives resources, but he gives something far more valuable. He, he's bandaging, bandaging up the guy's wounds. He's, he's sterilizing it using wine and oil. He's paying his own money, a couple of days wages to put this guy up in a hotel. But aside from giving away his resources, there's something else that he's giving. And it's actually much more critical. It's much more essential. I don't want us to miss this. What is that thing that he's giving? More valuable than resources. Just shout it out. His time. He's giving his time. Ultimately, he's giving of himself to this other guy. You see, anybody can stop along the road and make an assessment and and try and add a little value. Anybody can stop but not everybody's going to walk. You know, last week, uh, we talked about poverty and how we understand it in this nation today. When we think about poverty, we just instantly think about lack of material resources. And when we think about doing something for someone in need, the very first thought that comes into mind, if we're going to do something, if we're going to make a difference, is we think about pulling out our wallet and writing a check or giving some money or helping with some sort of resource. But if you ask somebody who's in poverty, what is poverty? It's, if they were to answer you, it's so much deeper than material resources, although obviously it's a lack of material resources, but the deeper issue that we talked about last week is that that person would say it's actually a state of feeling um, hopeless. It's a state of feeling trapped. It's a state of feeling afraid. It's a state of feeling ashamed. There, there is a sense of, I am never going to break out of this because every time I feel like I'm about to, something else happens. And I just can't seem to get out of this trap that I'm in. And so if we are going to be people who are going to do the most good for people in need, and this is really the whole point of the message today, okay? So if you've kind of drifted out, drift right back in right now, you can get the whole sermon and the whole point of it right now, okay? So just tune me, tune me in. This is the whole deal. 
if we are going to do the most good we can for people in need, we have to be willing to walk. That's what the Samaritan did. He was willing to walk with his neighbor. See, we're so tempted for a, to, to, to do a quick fix, to, to write a check or to, you know, make something happen quickly. But the reality is, if we're going to empower people who are feeling sh- stuck and trapped in poverty, we have to be willing to walk alongside them and walk that journey with them because there is not, it's not just a quick fix. So uh, what I want to do now is I want to invite a couple of friends of mine to join me up here. Um, and these two who are coming up here really get this whole idea of walking with your neighbor. Like, in fact, they don't just get this idea of walking with your neighbor, but they have been living it out for most of their adult lives. So would you guys give me a hand and welcome Steve and Danielle to the stage. So um, before, before we do a little Q&A with you guys, welcome, by the way, it's good to see you. Um, I just want to say, uh, if, you don't, if you're not familiar with these two faces, um, I cannot tell you what an honor and a privilege it is for me to be able to share the stage with, with these two. You are in for such a treat because um, I don't feel like I'm worthy to be sitting here um, with these guys. Um, and I'll tell you why. So Steve Park, um, he founded an organization named Little Lights. And you might have heard of Little Lights because that's a longtime partner organization of this church. Um, and, um, and it is an unbelievable um, nonprofit organization that is, is doing incredible work in um, the, the district. And Steve's going to tell you much more about that. He's currently the executive director of that organization. And Danielle Miller... Um, she is one of the founders and is the executive director of Casa Chiralagua, which you might have also heard is another one of our longtime partner ministries here at Grace, um, which is working in North Alexandria. And um, these are just two unbelievable, holistic Christian ministries that are, are exceptional organizations. And when I say exceptional organizations, I've seen organizations all over the country and all over the world. And not only are these two of the best organizations in Northern Virginia, they're two of the best organizations I've ever seen in my life. And I've spent much of my life in the nonprofit world. So um, it is such a privilege to have you guys here today. Thank you for making time and being willing um, to, to, to speak. So um, we're talking about... Um, we're talking about walking with our neighbor, and you guys came to mind um, when we talked, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and then and then uh, hashing hashing all this out, what you guys were going to say. So I want to start with first. I talked about how you guys are both running holistic ministry organizations. Um, Steve, what is holistic ministry? First of all, yeah, I mean, maybe I'll start out with a quote from Saint Francis. He said, uh, "Preach the gospel always. Use words when necessary." And so, um, you know, for Little Lights, being holistic is we're gospel-centered, but it's a lot about our actions as well as, as, well as our words. Um, and I think about the biblical word shalom, which means to thrive in every dimension of life. So we don't want the kids to just do a little bit better academically. We want them to, 
to thrive spiritually. We want them to thrive economically uh, in their relationships with their families. So uh, we see them as whole persons and connected to their families and connected to their community. Um, so with Little Lights, you know, we started with a tutoring program and then uh, moved on to something deeper because we felt like that was needed, so a Christian mentoring program. Uh, then we saw that family life was hard because a lot of parents weren't working or, or felt hopeless, so we started working with adults with our family center, providing resume help, providing some spiritual counseling, um, doing a worship service for adults, and then we also took on a, a landscaping business to provide employment as well as a, a support, relational support to men in the community. And so um, holistic for me means, one, being very relational, that it's about a long-term relationship with people in the community and walking alongside them, as you say, as, both as a friend and, um, and as a learner. Um, and so long-term commitment, practical resources, uh, and empowerment for uh, those living in, in the community that we serve. Awesome, awesome, good stuff, man. And Danielle, talk to us a little bit about about your holistic ministry and what you guys got going on. One of the catchphrases that we use at Casa Chirilagua is programs don't transform communities, relationships do, and programs are access points for the building of relationships. And so very similar to uh, Steve with Little Lights, we're about 10 years behind. Uh, They've been around longer than us, but we also do after-school programming, mentoring, Bible studies for middle schoolers, as well as now engaging the entire family because we realized that we can't just work with kids, but we need to work with the whole whole family. And it really is about building relationships because uh, programs can only do so much. In the end, we really need to be neighbors and we need to be friends. And out of those, those program give it, the programs give an opportunity for people to build long-term relationships with children and their families. And to add to the holistic piece, I think that it's important to remember that as a people of faith, holistic ministry is important because every individual was created in the image of God. In Genesis, we find the, um, the imago dei, which says that because we're all created in the image of God, we are given a God-given dignity. And um, sometimes the ways that we approach charity does not reinforce dignity. But when we really are in relationship with people, then we're able to affirm the God-given dignity in every person and honor that. That's awesome. Um, So what I love about what you guys are doing is it just, it's so, so much lines up with what the Good Samaritan was doing um, in, in Jesus' parable that he told. You guys are truly walking alongside, investing in those relationships. So I want to ask you guys, um, and Danielle, we'll start with you. So how did you, walk us through, how did you get into this thing? And did you like, when you first started, did you think you were going to be at it for, you know, 10 years or whatever, how long have you been at it now? 10 years, Yeah, yes. so, so um, just walk us through, how, how, did you get it, how did you get roped into this? Uh, the Lord works in mysterious ways. 
when I first started Casa, I told my my friends that I was in for a year, and then I was headed back to Illinois. I actually grew up in a farming community in the middle of nowhere in Illinois of a town of 2,000 with very little diversity. And when I graduated from college, I came to the D.C. area, just like everyone else, to change the world. Um, very quickly, I became jaded and cynical uh, when reality hit me in the face. And um, I spent some time overseas and came back and was very angry at the church. I felt like I saw injustice and pain everywhere that I looked. And I wanted to shake the church and say, what are you doing why don't you care? And I can see that part of it now was my cynical place that I was in then. But the reality is, is the Lord used that to push me out and to say, if you're frustrated with the church and feel like the church isn't doing anything about injustice, rather than being angry at the church, why don't you be the church that you desire the church to be? That was good. Can you say that again? <laughs> I like that. Why don't you be the church that you desire the church to be? And so some friends and I uh, prayed, and we felt like God was calling us to move into a community of people who were different than we were, to just live life alongside our neighbors, to listen to their stories, to learn from them, and Wait, then so to... so you didn't have like any sort of like grand program already laid out and like a strategic plan? No, remember I said I'm here a year, and then I'm leaving... <laughs> <laughs> so just, but just, just moved in just to listen and learn? Just to listen and learn and try to be um, the presence of God just by living out love on a daily basis. As Steve was saying, that um, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. And so we listened to our community. And one of the stories that we heard consistently was this, uh, stories that sounded something like this. Uh, in my country... There was a civil war when I was a kid, and the teachers couldn't make it to my village. So I never learned how to read. And I came here because I want my kids to have the education that I never received. Can you help me with that? And so through listening and learning, then we found the best way to come together and love the community. So we started a reading club in our apartment. And so many of those conversations happened around the dinner table and down in the park, in the neighborhood, and it just came from this place of doing life together. And when we, my friends and I started uh, to move into the neighborhood, part of the impetus was that we had all spent time in Central and South America. And when we returned, we said, why is it that we want to go serve when there's something romantic about being overseas? but we're doing nothing about the friends and family members of these same people who are right here in our backyards. So how could we build relationships with those people that are here? And um, that's kind of how everything started. And it just started by opening our doors and building relationships with people. And then when God would say, hey, why don't you do this? Then we would try it. And then we, 10 years later, ended up where we are today. And um, it's been an incredible journey. Yeah, and one of the things that just blew me away was I heard that, I heard that story, um, and and I thought, 
okay, so it's kind of some bootlegged program. Like, you know, you kind of moved into the neighborhood and you started listening to people and then you started a reading thing and there was this after-school program. And I, was, I remember going down there when I served uh, several years ago now with, 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 uh, with CASA for a season and, um, in, in, the, in the homework club. And, and I remember just, I was ready for something that was more kind of fam- like living room kind of, <laughs> you know, vibe. And I, I was like, this has run better than a lot of schools. That I, I mean, it was so on point and just well done. And, and that's one of the things is, I, I just don't want to forget this part for both of your organizations. It's very grassroots. Both these organizations, these are the founders. It's pretty amazing. Um, but they're done with incredible excellence. I mean, the first class uh, instruction and training and care. It's, it's really awesome. So Steve, tell us a little bit about your journey. Sure. Um, I think if uh, when I was in college, there's a checkbox for like the least likely occupation that I, I might go into <laughs> is a full-time urban ministry. Uh, <laughs> because when I was in high school and college, I was a very devout atheist. And so I was the type of person that would argue with Christians on campus about how silly it was to believe in God. And that this was the 20th century. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it was like, the least likely occupation. So as Danya said, God, God works in mysterious ways. And so after college, I uh, went to school in Boston University, came back to this area, was actually living in Boston with my best friend from college, and uh, went through a bad drug experience. Uh, he, my roommate convinced me to try a drug called ecstasy, and at first I thought, oh, this is the greatest thing ever invented. And, and, um, and then a few months into it, I had an incredibly bad experience where I went through really existential kind of terror and fear. It's something I can't even really describe. Um, but it, and it lasted days and then weeks and it, into months. So I was going through spiritual warfare even though technically I wasn't supposed to believe in uh, supernatural things as an atheist. And um, But it led me on a journey to figure out what my deepest problems were. And um, a book that helped me was a book called The Road Less Traveled. And uh, it talked about the importance of love. And that without love, basically, you can't, you can't have mental health. And so the book actually recommended seeing a therapist. And so that's what I started to do because I was very desperate. And at the therapist's office, I was, it was the first time I was able to tell another human being that I was lonely, that I was scared. Um, I learned, try to learn how to be more vulnerable and more authentic and uh, New Year's Eve of 93, I was sharing with my sister that I was sort of losing the will to live. I was exhausted. I was frightened. I was barely eating and sleeping. And she didn't say a single word. She just embraced me physically. But she did it with such tenderness that I just began to weep uncontrollably for 30 straight minutes. And That's just a bawling. Long time, man. It is. And literally no words exchanged. Just ba- and I felt like a little boy that was just in her arms, understanding what acceptance and compassion was for, in a deep way for the first time. And it really was life-changing, and I never saw the world the same way again. I realized that there is a lot of suffering in our world. Uh, there's suffering in poor communities, but there's also suffering in wealthy communities, a tremendous amount of loneliness. You know, I went to high school in Montgomery County, and I could see that there was so much suffering in our world. And as I was going through this transformation, I started working. Uh, my dad opened up a second business on 14th Street Northwest. I started helping him out as I was going through my own changes. And I met kids in this neighborhood, and it was really uh, life-giving, spending time with them and getting to know them. 
And they wanted to be around. They wanted to spend time with me and, and receive what I, what I was receiving from God and, and to be able to share it with them. And, um, and the book, you know, as I was going through this, the book actually that got me to become a Christian was a book called World Religions, ironically. Uh, I'm probably the only person you'll ever meet who became a Christian by reading that book. <laughs> but <laughs> the last chapter was on Christianity. And I was reading about Islam and Buddhism. And what made me want to become a Christian and said... Jesus is the guy I'm supposed to be following was just how radical Jesus was. And he was just radically compassionate to all people, including the, the tax collector, the prostitute, the, the poor, the leper, kind of all the rejects of society. Jesus radically loved and ultimately gave his life for. And I said, that's the man I'm supposed to follow. And I just saw the beauty of Christ and his compassion. And not to mention, as a young person, I'm like, Jesus is so much cooler than I'd ever imagined. <laughs> How come church people don't <laughs> present this cool Jesus? It's like the boring Jesus with the sheep, you know. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, Jesus is a radical. Jesus is a nonconformist. I'm like, this guy is so cool. I'm going to follow this guy. And I just remember repenting and just saying, I'm going to follow Jesus. And so, yeah, spending time with the kids in the neighborhood, really fell in love with the kids. One young man named Daryl, who was in eighth grade at the time, who I was, uh, met at the camp that I was volunteering at. Eighth grade, played football, big, tall guy, my height in eighth grade. Um, and I realized during the camp that in eighth grade, he could not read a Dr. Seuss book. And that just really broke my heart. That, and he struggled so much, and I realized he was in a, for probably a lifetime of suffering because he, he couldn't read. Mm. And I was meeting other kids in the program that I was volunteering at who were clearly behind it academically. And I really you know, wanted to find a way to help them. But also, like Danielle was saying, I wanted to maintain the relationship. I want to keep building the relationship because I knew that that's what, ultimately what they needed. And it was so life-giving for me. And so started Little Lights as a Christian tutoring program inside my parents' uh, business. It was a Taekwondo studio. And started doing Bible studies uh, there. And so that's basically how Little Lights got started. And that was, you know, 21 years ago, you know, did a yard sale, raised a few hundred dollars. And God has sustained us. You know, now we're able to have, we actually have 13 full-time staff. We have 40 part-time staff and, you know, uh, over 500 volunteers per year. So, And you guys just won some award for some Yeah, we won a a board of directors award uh, for the D.C. area for our board of directors. So we believe in excellence at all levels, you know, and... um, and so God has been faithful, but it really started out of a sense of just conviction that these children and families were important to God and that there's nothing more important that I could be doing with my life than sharing Christ's love with them. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So you guys were willing to, to walk, willing to, to walk with your neighbors and, and make that long-term commitment. Um, so I'm wondering, Danielle, if you can just share with us a story of, uh, of someone who has benefited from the relational, holistic focus of, uh, of CASA. Sometimes it's difficult to choose which one, but I'm going to talk this morning about a young lady named Angie. Angie was in kindergarten when I and was one of the first children that I met when I moved into the neighborhood, and uh, she would follow me around wherever I went. She would translate for me because at the time my Spanish was very poor. Um, And she would come over to my house, and we would color together, and we would 
cook together, and wherever I went, Angie wanted to come along. Even if it was going to buy groceries or uh, getting my tires changed at my car, on my car, I remember reading a book with her in the, the tire shop, Sheep in a Jeep. That one we did over and over again. <laughs> and um, Angie, this is a photograph of Angie. This was um, a birthday, one of my birthday parties, and she was there sharing in that. And I... I'm happy to report that after we we were able to meet, uh, we began when she was in third grade, meeting on a weekly basis, formalizing our mentorship. And so I've met with her every Wednesday for the past seven years, I believe. And now she is a sophomore in high school. And I recently was able to stand with her at her quinceanera, which is a very important event in the life of a young Latina. And she asked me to uh, speak about her and also to pray over her at her quinceanera. And it was an incredible honor to walk with her in that. She is the first in her family to, gra- to will be the first to graduate in her family to graduate from high school and also to attend college. And it has been such an honor to walk with her and see the kind and caring young woman that she has become. And most of all, I think, or not most of all, but the other thing that I want to share is that I have been changed by Angie. Not only have I made an impact on her life, but I can't even begin to tell you the things that she has taught me about perseverance, about compassion, about love, and even about her culture and her family. And we have been bonded together in our relationship, and I am grateful that she opened up her arms and accepted me. Mm, That's awesome. And for, uh, for me, I'll share about Dwayne. Uh, Dwayne was about eight years old when he first started coming to camp. Uh, you know, when he was born, both his parents were incarcerated, so he was raised by his grandmother at Potomac Gardens uh, Public Housing, which is where uh, we, we serve. And, um, and so he had a lot of strikes against him. And, uh, but he, when he came at eight years old, he was like... He's always had an amazing smile, but he had this incredible attitude and, and cheerfulness and wanting to come and wanting to learn about God. So he and I really developed a connection. Uh, we started playing video games together and doing sports and both watching sports, playing sports. We had a lot of common interests, but we really connected and talked about our faith. You know, he would talk about his girlfriends in middle school and high school. And uh, so we really grew up together. And, uh, you know, I was able to attend his high school graduation, then attend his college graduation. I went to his uh, wedding last year, uh, went to his baby shower last month uh, because, you know, <laughs> they didn't waste any time. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, I tell, I tell him not to procrastinate it. You know, he, he listened to my advice. <laughs> and uh, so they're about to, you know, have their child. He works full time at a nonprofit in Wheaton, Maryland, helping other students now uh, get to college. And so, and then he'll come and volunteer for us, and, and he'll be a guest preacher for us at our Friday night service that we have on Friday nights uh, at, at one of our programs. And so, you know, he and I just have uh, grown up together. He's seen my ups and downs. I've seen his ups and downs. And yeah, like Daniel said, he's really helped change my life as well as yeah, all the kids and all the fa- family members. 
have made my life certainly richer by being in community with them and developing these relationships. I really can't imagine what my life would be like without the relationships that I've, I've had at Little Lights. That it, it would be far less richer uh, without that sense of community with the people we serve at, at, at Little Lights. So, yeah, it's been a blessing. Awesome. Well, um, if you guys could uh, could just please join me in just a second in uh, in thanking um, Steve and Danielle, you guys are doing incredible work. Um, they are so humble; uh, they they really don't think they're any different than anybody else. But they really are modern day heroes for us. And uh, your willingness to to really do what Jesus teaches and to live that out on a day in and day out basis. And there's numerous, I mean, you, you, you know, you look out here and you see some, some, some faces of, of uh, folks that uh, many of us here, you know, are involved with Casa and, and Little Lights. And, and so, um, so we're just so grateful that you've given Grace Community Church this opportunity to partner with such extraordinary organizations and such extraordinary people. So thank you both. Can we give them a hand? So I just want to leave you with a, a parting thought. So when you have someone uh, who crosses your path and they're in need, and we can think about times when someone's crossed our path, there's some of us, there's someone right now who uh, we know and they are in need. What I really hope you'll take away from this series and from today is please try and resist the urge to go to the quick fix. That's, it's, it's easy to do. It's kind of the natural reaction, the natural response that we have. We think, okay, how can I, you know, give some money? How can I write a check? Uh, what, what can we do to kind of put a Band-Aid on this thing? And, you know, and that, that's just normal. You know, our lives are crazy. We live in Washington, D.C., and we have a million things going on. And, you know, we're not Jesus. We're not the Savior of whoever, you know, is, is coming across our path. And I get all of that, okay? But here's what I hope that you'll do. I hope that as you think about that person in need, who maybe right now is in your life or might come, there, come your way in the future, is that just put your visceral reaction to the side for a second. Stop, take a breath, and just be open and ask God this question. God, would you like me to walk with this person? Would you like me to walk alongside this person. I'm not necessarily saying that if someone stops you on the street and asks you for money, that you're supposed to invite them over to dinner at your house, okay? So we've got to be thinking and making good decisions. But how can we start to invest our time and how can we partner in long-term strategic ways that we get beyond just our superficial thinking about poverty as just simply material financial and recognizing that if, if we are going to truly help people break out of the trap of poverty, we've got to be willing to link arms with them.
come alongside them, encourage them, empower them, and invest in them. Now, maybe uh, for, for some of you, um, it's actually more at a, at a cause or an organizational level. And what I mean by that is, maybe there's a great organization that you know. Maybe it's CASA, or maybe it's Little Lights, or maybe it's another one. And you're, you're passionate about that cause, or every time you hear about that organization, it moves you. And, and, you know, you've done something with them in the past. You showed up to a dinner or you went to some event or, you know, you volunteered at one point um, or, you know, maybe you've given, you know, end of the year and you're thinking about uh, charitable donations and you've, you've written a check here or there. And that's awesome, okay? I don't want to discount that for one second. That is amazing, okay? And nonprofits and, and causes, they, they count on that stuff big time. But if you want to know, okay, if you want to know how you can do the most good, you want to know how we can get stories like Dwayne's and Angie's of the world, okay? I'm going to tell you right now how that happens in the nonprofit world from being involved in it for most of my life. The way that that works is actually through people who are willing to make a commitment to walk with that organization, they're willing to say, you know what, instead of just being, uh, you know, I'll kind of write a check once a year-ish, I'm going to commit to being a regular donor to that organization. You know what that does? Let's just get practical for a second. You know what that does? That enables organizations to be able to plan their next fiscal year. So now, if they know that they have regular contributions, they can say, wow, we could actually add another staff member, and we could do that outreach, and we could start that new thing in that ministry in that area that we've been wanting to do for so long. They can actually start to plan that in. Okay? And if you can just ask yourself this question, if you've got one of those organizations maybe that, that comes to your mind, again, ask, ask this question. Ask this to God. Just say, God, do you want me to walk with this organization in a significant way. See, anybody can stop. Anybody can stop, right? Well, except if you're a priest or a Levite. You can't stop. You just got to keep moving. But, but, I mean, you know, everybody, anybody can stop. That's easy. This is hard. But this is actually what causes the greatest impact and the most good to happen in this world. So if you've just sporadically, you know, served here or there within an organization, the lifeblood of an organization, the the engine of that thing is regular, committed volunteers. I know those are scary words, regular, committed, okay? It's like committed to what? An insane asylum or like, you know, but the reality is that is the fuel. That's, That's how it works, okay? So look, All I want to ask you to do is just be open, okay? Could you be open to the idea of walking with instead of just stopping by? Walking with instead of just stopping by because that is how change happens both to organizations and those we want to help and also to us. So just give you one word of warning though. You're open and you pray an honest prayer like, God, could you show me if I'm supposed to walk with someone or could you show me if I'm supposed to walk with this organization with my time or with my checkbook? Just watch out, okay? Because God loves to answer those prayers and pretty darn quickly. So just be ready if you're going to 
You got to take that seriously if you're going to do it. So um, before I, I pray for you guys and, and we'll close out the service today, I just want to let you know that, um, that both Casa Chiralagua and Little Lights have a couple of tables in the lobby here today with some of their amazing team members that, that came to be with us today. And I'll tell you what, some of you, you may want to go and you may want to pick up some information about how you can get involved. Others of you, you may just want to walk by that table and high five somebody and just say great job and be an encourager, okay? Be an encourager because this is hard work. It's a lot easier just to stop. It's harder to walk, okay? So, so they're gonna be right out in the lobby and I'll just say, in, in case you don't have time to stop by the lobby or you're listening online or you're watching on video, you can go to littlelights.org or casachiralagua.org and you can find out all sorts of uh, good ways to be connected there. So I'm going to pray for you, and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get out of here. Uh, Lord God, uh, thank you so much for, um, for stirring us up. Thank you for challenging us. Uh, as Steve said, uh, Jesus, you were pretty radical in many ways, and um, you called people to radical, uh, great things, sometimes dangerous things, things that would cost us something. And um, God, I just pray for those in this room that are feeling stirred up right now, like just their hearts beating a couple extra beats a minute. Um, God, sh- please show us what it is you want us to do. God, we want to be people like the Good Samaritan who are willing to walk. But we need you to, to show us what that looks like. Um, God, just help all of us in that room to, to know what that is. And uh, we're very grateful for the ways you challenge us and look forward to what you're going to do as we step into the unknown and, and just seek to try and walk with our neighbors. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.